So, uh, man, what a crazy day that we live in where just this device in our pocket takes the place of so many things that us uh, kids in the 70s and 80s had scattered all over our house, you know? Uh, it's a telephone, it's a map, it's an address book, it's an encyclopedia, it's camera, it's so many different things. It's all right here in one device. And there's one, there's one thing that this does that I really don't use very often, but I know a lot of people do. It's just a common part of today's cellular devices, but I don't use this one feature. It is the alarm clock. You know, I, I'm, I'm more of a traditional alarm clock guy. I still got an old school alarm clock right next to my bed. You know, I want to look over in the middle of the night when I, you know, wake up and I want to see what time it is without having to reach over and, you know, touch something. I just want to see what time it is. And when, when the alarm does go off in the morning, I want something I can smack. You know, I want to reach over and hit something. I don't want to have to fumble around and be afraid I'm going to knock it off and crack the screen and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to have to pick it up and fumble, you know, fumble, fumble with my thumbs all over the place looking for something. I just want to hit, I just want to hit the alarm. And so I have an old school alarm. It's the piece on the phone that I don't use. Now, when I was in junior high and high school, I wasn't even very good at using the alarm. And so I had it, you know, by my bed, which is a bad place to put the alarm right next to your bed, at least when, for me, it was in junior high and high school, because as soon as it went off, I'd hit that snooze button and just back to sleep, I'd go, you know, snooze button again, boink, you know, and as, as long as it kept going off, I kept hitting it and just kept snoozing. Anybody else relate with me this morning? Okay, thank you. So I got to where I finally took it and put it across the room, you know, where I'd have to get up and go turn it off and don't have that problem as much anymore. But back in the day, even before that, I can remember hitting the snooze button and then a very strange thing happening. My, my mom would come in first and say, hey, are you going to get up this morning? And then a little time would pass and pretty soon my dad would come in and he wasn't as cheerful with his, you know, address in the morning. And so I remember this strange thing happening where they would tell me it was time to get up, and I was actually going to be late to whatever event I was, most likely school, that I was supposed to be going to. But I remember when they finally got me awake, I remember thinking, I thought I was awake. I was dreaming I was awake when actually I was asleep. You ever done that before? You wake up in the morning, and you dream you're up, and you're getting ready and all this stuff, and all of a sudden, the alarm goes off. You realize, wait a minute, I'm not up? crazy thing that happens to us. But that happened, and it happened multiple times where I thought I was awake, but I was actually asleep. A oh, spiritual lesson here for us already this morning. The Bible says that it's possible to be physically alive and even in some ways alive to God, but still asleep. Still asleep to what he's doing, what he's saying to us. What a, what a sad existence to think you're awake and be missing the reality of what was happening around you. When I was in my bed asleep thinking I was awake, I was missing out what was going on. I was stuck in my own world. And when you are not awake to all that God has for you, you're like that. You're in your own little world your eyes are shut, though you think they're open. And it's why in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 14, it has this one short verse. Awake, you sleeping ones, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. A call 
to wake up. A call to live alert. A call to live awake and alive to God. A call to resurrection. We're in the middle of a series we're calling Alive. We've been looking at the stories of people throughout Scripture who were resurrected. People who were dead, asleep, and God resurrected them after they had died. And they came to new life. And we've walked through the Old Testament. Of course, on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we looked at uh, Jesus' resurrection. We looked at a story last week of a young man who had died and how Jesus came and resurrected him. And today we're moving on to another story in the New Testament where Jesus brings about a resurrection. But I want to drive home a point, a couple of points for us today that will frame our whole morning. Here's the first big one. It's this, that Jesus is passionate about resurrecting the dead. This is what Jesus is about. He wants to bring life to death. And you and I are born dead. We're born cut off from God. And the more we sin, the more we keep ourselves in that place of death. When we come to Jesus Christ, he makes us awake in him to his glory. He awakens us to forgiveness. He awakens us to peace with God, hope in God. He awakens us, and Jesus is passionate about resurrection. So the stories in the Bible that we see about someone being physically resurrected, they are simply pictures of a much greater thing that God wants to accomplish. He wants to see hearts come alive and be resurrected. Physical resurrections weren't the ultimate end. Because for all those who were physically resurrected, except Jesus, they eventually died. Right? So that wasn't the ultimate end. Jesus resurrected people. God resurrected people so that we and they might know that God has the power to resurrect a heart. A heart that's cut off, a heart that's weighed down with guilt, a heart that's covered up in shame, a heart that lives in fear. Those are the things God wants to resurrect from our life and not have us live in that kind of dark place. So this is what Jesus is passionate about, and he calls the church, us, to join him in the work of resurrection. He's still about the work of resurrecting hearts. In fact, he is the only one who can do that. No one else, not even us, have the power to see anyone spiritually resurrected. Right? Amen? But he calls us to join him in the work so that we might speak his word, communicate his love, and people might have resurrection happen in their hearts. This is what he calls us to. It's part of our mission as a church. And I know sometimes we get caught up in, well... Uh, We have to make sure we're doing all the things that the church is supposed to do. Fellowship, worship, make disciples, and those are all important. But we have to keep in mind when we're doing even those things that our command from Jesus was to go, therefore, and make disciples. We're to teach and preach and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our task is to keep in mind those who are still dead. So part of what we're doing here this morning is we're worshiping the Lord. 
We're grateful for what he has done for us. We're learning from his word, but we're doing it all with the mindset that we are still focused on those who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ, right? We haven't come here to hide from the mean old nasty world. We haven't come here to get in a huddle. We haven't come here just to uh, hide away so that no one can hurt us. We've come here as the bride of Christ to worship the groom so that we might be energized to go out and share the gospel. It's part of who we are as a church, and we can't forget that. We can't forget that we have been shown grace, and now it is our call to show someone else that same grace. So our passage today is from Mark chapter 5. You can turn there in your Bible or your uh, cellular device with your app on it, whatever you've got. Mark chapter 5, we're looking at two sections of Scripture. Uh, There's a story that happens in between these two sections, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But we start in verse 21. Let me kind of give you a little setting to where we are. It's early in the ministry of Jesus. He is gathering disciples, and he's beginning to travel around the area, and he's, he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he is performing miracles. Miraculous things are happening. He's demonstrating the power of God, and people are being drawn. They want to come see what this is all about. They want to see the power of God being demonstrated through Jesus. So all of this is happening, and the Jewish leaders of the day are not too excited about it. In fact, they've already begun to kind of plan their charges against Jesus. They don't like the fact that he's healing on the Sabbath. They don't like the fact that people are running to him instead of them. They don't like the fact that he's saying that he has come to destroy, or not destroy, but to remove the temple, and he would become the place of worship and become the one who enters the temple in heaven. And so the the Jewish leaders are not too happy with all this. They've, They've begun to gather behind the scenes to plot against him. So we enter our story today that's going to have some significance. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. And he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, a ruler of the synagogue. Synagogue's a little different from the temple. The temple's where you went and sacrifices were offered. The synagogue is where you went and teaching occurred. There was some worship that occurred. There was the place of teaching. And so those who ruled and led in the synagogue were responsible for teaching people the law of God, for teaching God's ways. They had answers for people's questions. That was their responsibility to teach the ways and the law of God. And so when you read here that a ruler of the synagogue is approaching Jesus, knowing kind of the the mood and the temperature of the day, there's a little bit of uneasiness. You think, "Uh oh, about to have a showdown right here. It's about to all go down. It says Jairus is his name. It was a very specific person. This is not a fictitious story. It's very real. It goes on in verse 22. It says, and when he saw him, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet And begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter dies, I'm sorry, lies at the point of death. Jairus is moved. He's doing something uncharacteristic for a synagogue ruler. He goes to Jesus and falls down at his feet and sees him as his only hope. 
cries out to him. The doctors don't have answers. The priests don't have answers. The synagogue rulers, others there don't have answers. And he makes his way to Jesus. His problem, his little girl is sick, very sick, to the point of death, Scripture says. If you have children, you can begin to enter into what Jairus must have been feeling. If you've ever had a child that has been ill, has had to be placed in the hospital, and you're not sure of what's going to happen, it begins to just throw everything you know into a tailspin. You're uncertain what's going to happen next. Who's got answers? God, why is this happening? Can someone please help me? And you're having all these pictures in your mind of a life that has happened that's been short, but all the joys and celebrations and at the same time, you're thinking of a future and you're not sure what it is, whether this little child is in it anymore, and you're filled with heartache. This is where Jairus is, a ruler of the synagogue, a man of authority, a man who was learned in the law, and he has no more answers, and he goes to Jesus. Scripture goes on and it tells us what happens next. That Jairus said, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Jesus, you're, you're the only one. You, if you'll come, if you will come and if you'll just put your hands on her. I've seen, I've seen your power. I've seen your love. If you will come, if you put your hands on her so that she can be healed, then I know she will live. Jesus, please, please come. Now, I want to keep pulling us back to the real point of resurrection. Because, as I've said before, it's easy to get caught up in the, the surface story here. A little girl sick. But the point of every story of resurrection is so that you and I might know that God can resurrect a heart that is sick and dead. And so as we go through the story this morning, I want you to keep in mind people that you know who are without hope today. People that you know who are hurting People that you know that are blind to the glory of God, who are angry, resistant. They wouldn't come to church if you asked them to. They don't want to hear about the gospel. They don't want to know about Jesus. Those are people that are in need of resurrection. Amen? So keep that in mind today. You know, last week we finished our service out. We had these tables set up here. and There were cards written about, and we came up here and wrote down the names of people who we were praying for. 226 names were written on those cards. And we have people in our church who are praying specifically for those names, for those that we wrote and said, God, we're praying for these, that they might come to know you. 
that they might have resurrection happen. This is the point of resurrection in the Bible. Hear the story, but know the point. There's resurrection power for any heart, no matter where it is today, even for the one that you think it is impossible to reach them. Nothing is impossible for our God. Amen. Come lay your hands on her, Jesus, that she may be healed and she will live. Jesus, you're the only one. So Jesus went with him, it says in verse 24, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Jesus is kind of growing in popularity. The stories are going viral and the crowds are pressing around. And can you imagine? I don't know if this means hundreds or if it means thousands, but they're there. They're pressing all around him. They're all there. And Jesus is attentive to one man's voice, one man's cry. And he says, I'll go with you. And Jesus went with him. And the crowd has to go with him. You might think today, I'm not sure Jesus hears my cry. Oh, he does. Trust me. He hears and he will move on your behalf. He does for Jairus. A great crowd thronged him, swallows him up. I'm going to jump down in the scripture down to verse 35. What happens next in the story here in this gospel of Mark chapter 5, there's a great story that's sandwiched in the middle of this story. The story happens, but in the middle is another story. Uh, At some point, you should read it. It's about a woman who, she's had a medical condition for 12 years, and no one's been able to help her, and she's desperate for help. So she goes to see Jesus, and in a crowd... She humbly reaches out just to touch him as he passes by. And Jesus heals her. And the condition that she had, Jesus heals. There's a purpose in that story being sandwiched in this one. But I want to continue on in our story today. Because there's great beauty in what happens next. Verse 35. You see... As that story ends, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. She's healed and she goes. And you just imagine this touching moment. The crowd is swirling around. People are everywhere. The city street sounds are going on. And Jesus has this conversation with this woman where he says, your faith has made you well. Go in the healing of your affliction. Beautiful words, touching moment. And the scripture says this in verse 35, that while he was still speaking. So in other words, while he is still having this conversation with this woman, passing on healing to her, it says that some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. So Jesus is having this conversation with this woman, very tender, intimate, powerful moment. Some people come from Jairus's house and it says that they said to him, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
Have you ever been around some people that just don't have a social clue? You know, they, they come up on a situation and they're not sensitive at all to what's happening in the moment. And they just start talking and they say something that is totally out of place, that they totally miss the point. You're like, hey, don't you not even see what's happening here? That's what I think about these people here. It's Jesus is having this moment where this woman has been, she had this, this condition for 12 years and he, he's speaking life to her. And these people come and they tell Jairus, hey, your daughter's dead. Don't bother him anymore. What? He just healed a woman who's had this condition for 12 years. What do you mean don't, don't bother him anymore? He's the only one I can go to for life, for hope, for help. He's the only one, and they are clueless. In effect, they're saying, look, Jairus, just go on back. Go back to the house. The situation's over. It's hopeless. There's no life. It's not going to work. Just go back to your religious ways. Do your own thing. There's no reason to bother Jesus about this. There will always be people. There will be those who will try to tell you that resurrection is impossible. God's going to put some things in your heart. He's going to give you some promises. He's going he's gonna to answer some prayers for you in your heart about some people. You're going to be praying for a child. You're going to be praying for your spouse. You're going to be praying for a family member, a friend. And God's going to give you some peace about it. He's going to give you some direction about it. And you're going to have some faith. And the minute you share that word of hope with someone else, someone's going to say, you can't really think that that's going to happen, right? You can't really believe that. There's no way they could ever be resurrected. Those people are out there. Have you met those people before? I pray we're not any of those people. Amen. Amen. That we are the ones who are believing with hope, believing in faith, confident in God's power. And we're the ones speaking life and we're not the ones saying, oh, come on, really? You should just give that up. You need to just forget it. It's over. It's done. It's not going to happen. The minute you start following Jesus, which what Jairus has just done, the minute you start turning your life to follow Jesus and go with him, you're going to have some people come speak discouragement to you. It's going to happen. They'll come along and they'll speak death instead of speaking life to you. They'll be fine with you going to church They'll be fine with you doing your own personal religious thing. But the minute you start talking about promises, the minute you start sharing truth, the minute you start saying, well, here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for this person to come to know Jesus. I'm praying for this situation to be resolved. I'm praying for hope to come into this situation. That's when their voice of discouragement will start to roll out. You got to watch out for those people. I don't know what brought them to that place. I don't know what caused these people from Jairus' household to come with such discouragement. Don't bother the teacher any longer. But they came. I'm sure Jairus heard them. But the Bible says that Jesus heard them too. Mm, Look at the next verse, verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 36. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Jairus, I know the voices are talking to you right now. I know the voices of discouragement. I know the voices of of untruth are calling out to you right now. But Jairus, 
I've got something to say to you. Jairus, I'm calling you in a new path. Jairus, do not be afraid. Jairus, don't let fear capture you in this moment. Jairus, don't let this circumstance detain you from believing the promise that I've got for you. Don't let this news take you away from my news. Don't let what they say destroy what I'm going to do. Jairus, do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. He didn't say, Jairus, take your fears and add a little bit of belief to them. Mm -mm. He didn't say, Jairus, uh, I know you're afraid right now. Uh, if, you'll just, if you'll just quote one verse with me and maybe add that in with your fear. No. He said, Jairus, I'm calling you to a complete change of the way you thought. It's time to remove fear from the situation. You're going to have to remove fear out because there can't be fear and faith in the same spot. Amen. There can't be. Jairus, only believe. Trust me. Believe that I can bring about life in this situation. Trust me. Don't look at the circumstance. Don't look at the voices. Don't listen to the voices. Trust me. Jesus knows what a struggle it must have been for Jairus because he goes on in the verse, the next verse, and he says this, and he, Jesus, permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, you remember what's happening. There's a crowd. They're pressing in. They're all there. And now the people have come from Jairus' house, and they've got this bad news, and they've come in with this, this, this voice. And Jesus says, Jairus, you're going to have to focus. You're going to have to leave behind your old way of fearing, and you're going to have to only believe. Now, Jairus, here's the deal. I am going to help you out. And Jesus said, hold up, stop. Everybody, stop. Jairus you go. Peter, you go. James, John, and me. Everybody else, stay here. He separated them out. He said, we're going here. Y'all stay here. He permitted no one to follow I don't know if he put out some caution tape, if he put out some cones. I don't know what he did. If he set some sheep up, if he drew a line in the sand, I don't know what it was. But Jesus said, stop. Just stop. All of you, stop. You're not coming any further. Jairus, let's go. When God is about to do something big in our life, it's funny how he takes the crowd and just kind of pushes them aside. You'll find all of a sudden yourself fewer friends, and you think there's bad things happening. Mm -mm, there's good things happening. When God's going to do something big in your life, he has to shut those voices out so you'll have faith to believe and trust him only. Amen. And so he'll say to the crowd, that's it. You can't come. What I'm doing from this point forward is me, Jairus, Peter, James, and John. I got to have people with me who are going to support the truth. 
I got to have people with me who are going to believe in what I'm doing. I got to have people with me who are going to encourage Jairus in the process. And when God begins to do something big, you better gather people around you who are full of faith people. Amen. Amen? And sometimes you're going to have to tell some folks in the crowd that you've been running with, hey, I can't run with you tonight. I can't run with you anymore. God's called me some new stuff. I got to walk with him. And you're going to have to leave the crowd behind if you want to see the miraculous that's about to come. Jesus wasn't going to let them come. They were naysayers. They didn't believe Jesus. And he shut them out. To move forward in faith, you have to shut out the voices of unbelief. You got to shut them out. They may be people in your life. They may be things you've believed. They may be in the music you listen to. They may be in the TV shows you watch. They might be in the books you read. But you're going to have to shut them out if you want to see the miraculous happen in your life. Amen? You can't move forward if you don't walk away from the crowd and draw a line. The scripture says, then he, Jesus, came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. They made their way there. And they saw a tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly. The little girl had died. And there was a Jewish funeral in process. There was wailing. There was crying. And that's not customary American funerals, right? At least not the ones I've been to. At most funerals I've been to, the crowd is sitting silent, not saying a word. There's, it's a very reverent thing when you come in. I've been to some that weren't necessarily like that, but I can't imagine walking up on a scene and there is just uncontrolled, you know, a whole bunch of that going on. In fact, it was common to even pay whalers to come to the house, you know, to be a part of it. Flute players, uh, whalers who were there to help in the grieving, the sorrow. And this is what Jesus and Jairus and Peter, James, and John all walk up on. There's a, a tumult. It is chaotic. It is loud. It is, it is disturbing. It is grief without hope. It is tragedy. It is loss. And Jesus walks up on it. It says in verse 39 that when he came in, he, Jesus, said to them, the crowd, the tumult, the wailers, he said, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Hmm. Jesus just calls him out just right away. He just says, hey, stop all that stuff. This child is not dead like you say. She's only sleeping. You know, it's always important to get Jesus' diagnosis of a situation before you ask somebody else for the diagnosis of the situation, right? Everybody saw this one in one way. 
This is done. This is over. This is hopeless. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh. You got it all wrong. This girl just needs to be awakened. And I have come to awaken her. You've got some situations in your life that you think are dead. You've got some people in your life that you think it would be impossible for them to come alive to God. And you say, no, I believe that God can do all things. Well, does your faith and your practice really believe that? When you get around them, do you speak truth to them? Would you pray for them? Do you share truth with them? That'll really prove whether you believe God can do it or not. Jesus walks right up into the situation, and he has a different diagnosis. And when he speaks it in verse 40, it says, and they ridiculed him. It's what the crowd always does. It's what the world does. It's what unbelievers do. Jesus, are you crazy? You can't come up in here and resurrect someone who is dead. You cannot do that. That's ridiculous. And they begin to ridicule him, mock him, make fun of him. What do you think you're doing? You shouldn't be here. We told you this was over. It's a hopeless situation. And the world says that to the church today. They don't mind that we meet here on Sunday mornings, but the minute we start trying to take our truth outside these walls and talk to somebody about life in Jesus Christ, it's hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't be putting your values on me. Don't be coming out here with that message of hope. You just get back in there and do your religious thing, but get away from me because all that stuff is ridiculous. And we have a world, we have a country today who mocks the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the the mockery. They are looking to refute us. They're looking to set us down. They're looking to shut us down because they don't believe in the power of God to resurrect our nation today. They're looking at all other things to resurrect our nation. They think if we could just all get along and no one speak out above anybody else with truth, then we'd all just be fine. If we could all just accept one another's sins, then we'd all just be fine. And Jesus comes in with love, but he comes in with righteousness and says, here is the way and the truth and the life. And I am it. And you kind of have to walk in it if you want to follow me and know God's power and peace in your life. That's what he does. He comes and he just draws a line. And he calls us as the church to, to walk in that, to shut out the voice of the crowd. Verse 40, the second part, it says, But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Well, didn't we just separate the crowd from everybody once? Yep. And here we are doing it again. We have arrived at the house. The whalers are in place. And Jesus says, stop. Just stop all that. Now, Mother, Father, Peter, James, John, and me. We're going in. The rest of you stay out. Sometimes you have to separate yourself from the crowd more than once. Right? Sometimes you have to draw that line again. Sometimes you have to say, look, I said it once, I'll say it again. I'm not walking in your path, and you're certainly not coming in mine. You have to draw that line. And Jesus does. And he invites them inside the house. 
here is where our story draws to a kind of a climactic end. The good news is coming. And this is where the meat of our truth is going to come from today. This is where the greatest application for us as the church is today. So engage with me. Verse 41. Then he, Jesus, took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. It's fascinating to me that Mark, empowered by the Holy Spirit, chose to put the actual words spoken. Talitha kum. Then he gives us the translation. Little girl, I say to you, arise. What we have here is the power of Jesus to resurrect a life that is dead. And we have here instruction for us as the church in what we are to do if we're going to be the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus in our world today. Let's, let's gain some truth and application from this verse. The first one is this, is we know that Jesus went to her in her death. She could not get to him. She was dead. She had no power in and of herself to get to him. She could not call out to him. She couldn't cry. She had died. The only way resurrection could come to her was if resurrection came to her. Jesus went to her in her place of death. I know it's difficult in our day. When the culture seems to be doing everything it can to run from God, when the culture seems to be doing everything it can to distort and pervert God's ways, and it's tempting, like I said last week, to want to shut your door in your house, lock it, and not go out. It's tempting to want to try to just live in a bubble all day long. But the church is called to do the same thing Jesus did. We're to go into the world with the truth, speak life, and you can't speak life and have resurrection happen if you do not go into the places where people are dead. You have to go to dead people. Now, I love what we do here on Sundays. And we do our best to try to make grace a reality for people when they drive by our street and show up in our doors. Right? But this cannot be the only expression we have as a church to reach our world. We can't just put a sign out front and say, 
here it is. Come and get it. We, we're doing that. And God's blessed that. But it's time we pick up the banner and go out and not just wait for them to come in. You got to go where the dead are if you want to see resurrection happen. And Jesus went to this girl in her death. You have to flip the script. It's so natural as, as believers in the church to think uh, we're, we're to be the huddle. We're to gather only here we go out there and do our thing, but quickly run back here. We're to go out from here energized, filled with power, filled with purpose and passion so that everywhere we step and every word we say is empowered by God and filled with truth to see someone else resurrected. Amen? Amen. The second thing we see in the story is that the compassion of Jesus came before the call of Jesus. In the story, it's very specific. Mark wrote for us what happened. He says that Jesus came in and he took her hand and then he spoke. It's important. He didn't speak first and then take her hand. He didn't wait to see if she would listen and then show compassion. The first thing that Jesus did was an act of compassion. He did what no Jew would do if they could avoid it. Touch a dead thing. And Jesus is moved with compassion and the first thing he does is reach down to her lifeless hand and raise it and compassionately hold it. Jesus showed compassion before he made the call. As the church, it's one of the things that's, again, difficult in our day. When you've got a, a culture running as fast as it can away from God, it's easy to be a little bit more critical than in than compassionate, right? It's easy to judge more than reach your hand out toward them. But this is where Jesus starts. If we want to see people come alive, there has to be a drive of compassion. There's got to be some element where your heart breaks for the one who doesn't know him. It's easy to sit back and say, man, do you see how crazy they're acting? Can you believe that? I don't understand why they do this. Shame on them for doing that. And just go off, you know. But that's not what Jesus did here. In fact, he shut the crowd out and walked up to this girl. And the first thing he did was show compassion. He held her hand. And before you get to the place where you're criticizing your neighbor, before you get to the place where you're condemning the guy at work, before you shut them out, 
start with compassion. Try to imagine how they got to where they are. Try to imagine what home life must have been like for them. Try to imagine the events they walked through in their life that brought them to the place where they're angry, bitter, addicted, whatever it might be. Consider where they are and, and keep doing that until compassion wells up within you. Until all of a sudden you're feeling as though you were them. You, you begin to feel their hurt, their confusion, their loss that they've been through to the point where the first thing you want to do when you see them is be compassionate to them. That's what Jesus did first. Before he called this little girl to life, he showed compassion. The next thing we see that's kind of a big truth that stands out to us here in this, these, this verse is that, that Jesus addressed her as who she was meant to be and not what she had become. He didn't walk in and say, dead corpse. He didn't walk in and say, diseased one. He didn't walk in and say, sickened, hopeless one. Instead, the scripture is very specific because it gave us the actual things that Jesus said. Talitha kum. Little girl. Little maiden. We're going to find out in just a little bit that this girl is 12 years old. You just stop and think for a moment. A 12-year-old girl. Life is still all before her. Much of what she's had to this point has been play. Maybe a few chores she's learned along the way. Life in her family. Jesus could have said a lot of things to her. But the thing he says to her is, is that he addresses her as who she was meant to be. A little girl. She was meant to be enjoying life. She was meant to be seeing her future. She was meant to be enjoying family. And Jesus addresses her as what she's meant to be and not what she had become. This is something that God has done throughout the pages of Scripture. When God first introduced himself to a man named Gideon, Gideon was hiding away. He, his land had been attacked. They were afraid of being taken as slaves, and he is hiding. He should have been fighting, but he's hiding. And when God meets him, God meets him, he says to him, valiant warrior. The scripture makes it clear that while he calls him valiant warrior, he was anything but a valiant warrior. When Jesus meets Peter, walks in for a while, his name is not Peter, it's Simon. And Simon's known for his brashness and his all-over-the-page lifestyle. Whatever crowd he's in, he's there. He's in that crowd. And Jesus says to him, you are Peter. You are rock. You are solid. 
And he spoke that to Peter when he was anything but solid. It's not uncommon for God to do that when he met Abraham. Abraham was old and childless, as was his wife. And he meets Abram and says to him, you will be the father of many nations. What? You're calling me a father? I don't have any children, much less enough to fill the nations. But this is what God does. He meets people where they are, and he calls them things which are not as though they were. He called Abraham a father of many nations. He called Gideon a valiant warrior. He called Peter. He called Simon Peter. And he calls this little girl who's dead, little girl. That's how you speak life to people. So, make some application here. Maybe you've got a spouse who is not doing all that you think they ought to be doing. Maybe it's... uh, Maybe you're friends with the husband, for example, men. You're friends with the husband who's not doing all he ought to be doing. And he knows he's not living right. He knows he's not fulfilling his role that God has for him. You could do a couple of things. You could go up and point out all of his sin. You could judge him, condemn him, cut him off. Or you can go to him and speak truth and speak life. You can say to this husband who's not living like he ought to, Sir, honorable husband, it's time to arise. It's time for you to be what God's called you to be, an honorable husband. Men, you might think your wife is not accomplishing all she ought to be accomplishing, being all that she ought to be. You could handle that a couple of different ways. You could continue to point out all of her flaws and weaknesses, which I promise you is a bad deal. I tried it. It doesn't work. If you want to see a situation change, you come in and you speak life into it. You say to that wife, my beautiful bride, whatever you say next, I guarantee you she's going to be listening to you. And if you're a wise husband, you'll use that moment to speak life to her. Parent, grandparents, boy, it's easy to get on to the kids, isn't it? It's easy to point out all their flaws, point out all their failures, show them where they're wrong, tell them where they failed, even make up cute nicknames that you think are funny that really kind of point out their inabilities. Oh, you're always such a loser. Boy, you never do anything right. You just come up with all these little labels, you know, that you attach onto them. You are not speaking life to them when you do that. You're speaking death to them. If you want to You want to see change happen. You want to see God's presence move into a situation. You come in and you speak life to them. You learn to speak life to your children. My blessed and loving son, 
speak life to him. He'll listen to you. And you keep speaking that life to them. You keep calling him failure, loser, can't do anything right. He'll become everything you say he is. But you speak some truth to him. Speak some life to him. Then you'll see some things happen. Then you'll see God start to move in his heart and change. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He addresses this girl not for who she had become, but for who she was meant to be. She was wrapped up in death. She was wrapped up in inability. She was wrapped up in separation. She was wrapped up in no life. And Jesus showed compassion, held her hand. Jesus addressed her. Talitha, little girl. And then he didn't stop there. He said, kum. He said, arise, little girl. It's time for you to come out of your death. I know you're stuck there, but Jesus called her out of her death. You're wrapped up in isolation and separation. But Jesus called her out of her death. Come out of your sleep. Come out of death's hold. Come out of what separates you. This is our other big point. Jesus called her out of her death. Our calling as the church is to be compassionate. Our calling as the church is to speak life. Our calling as the church is to call people out of their death. It's time to come out of your bitterness. It's time to come out of your anger. It's time to come out of your fear. It's time to come out of all the secrets. It's time to come out of all the shame. It's time to walk out of not living righteously. It's time to walk out of just living for yourself. It's time to walk out of all that death. It's time to arise. And we've got to get that message. We've got to get that breath in us as the church because we're the ones called to do what Jesus has called us to do and speak life to this culture. Amen? And we've got to get out of these walls. We've got to go with compassion. We've got to address people in what life speaks to them, and we've got to call them out. Call them out of their death. Call them out of their sin. Call them out of their shame. Call them out of all their fear. Call them out of where they've been living. Call them out of their hidden life. Call them out of all their half-life. Call them out and call them to arise. It's time to get up. It's time to live. It's time to be resurrected. It's time to experience forgiveness. It's time to experience life. It's time to experience peace. Come to Jesus and experience life. Arise. Amen? We're called to do what Jesus did. The scripture makes it clear what happens next. Verse 42, immediately the girl arose and walked. She didn't slowly evolve into it. She didn't need four classes to help her. She just got up. She was alive all of a sudden. This is what Jesus had come to do. He didn't come to just try to improve her state of death. Jesus hasn't come today just to make people a little bit better at financial planning. Jesus hasn't come today to make your marriage just a little bit better. 
Jesus hasn't come today to make your hobby just a little bit more enjoyable. Jesus has come so that you might be resurrected to the glory of all that's in him and you live awake. All right? Not just a little better. Resurrected and alive. This is what he calls us to. It says, and they were overcome with great amazement. This was staggering. Someone who was dead is now alive? What? Someone that everybody else had diagnosed dead? They're now alive? They've been resurrected? Yes. And remember, the real point of the story is not just physical resurrection, but a heart resurrected. I know the Spirit of God is here in this place this morning. I know God's Word is alive and it's powerful. And so I know that He is speaking. I'm confident He's speaking to each of us today. And there's some things that for each of us, He's calling us out from. I don't know where you are in the story. Maybe you're at the point of the story where it's time to call you out away from the crowd. Where you got to draw some lines and say, okay, that's enough. I, I can't run with that crowd anymore. There's some people that God's saying that to today. It's time to draw the line right there and, and move on with Jesus and, and walk away from the crowd. There's some that he's, he's calling you on into the house. You, you, you've toyed with going with the crowd. You, you've gone back into their, their ways. But he said, no, I want you to come on up in. You're coming into the house. I got something big to show you. And he's isolating you and, and you. and it's time for you to say, okay, Jesus, I'll walk on with you. There's some of you that he's even dealing with on a different level where he's put somebody specific in your life and it, he's calling you to be compassionate toward them. You've been more cut off, more critical. But now he, he, he's calling you with compassion changing how you see the situation. He's changing how you see the people in your life. He's calling you to that. Maybe he's calling you to go and you're the one. He's calling you to speak life. You're the one. You've got to go and speak. You've got to go and call them out of their death. You've got to tell them to arise. And he's speaking today. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? just as confirmation that the Lord is speaking today. If he, is, if he is specifically speaking to you about some issue in your life where he's calling you to come away, would you just lift your hand just for a moment and say, God's speaking to me today. Just lift your hand just for a moment. God's speaking to me today. I know what he's calling me to. He's speaking to me. Amen. Amen. For some of you, there's an air in your life that you've had, you've, you've kept secret. You, you've kept behind the scenes. And he's calling you out of that. He's calling you to walk in righteousness. He's calling you to walk in truth. And you've, you've struggled. For some, it's a calling to come away from the crowd. For some, it's a calling to step on up and speak truth, to show compassion. Whatever it is this morning, would you, would you tell Jesus, I'll do it. I'll obey you.
I'll walk with you. I'll separate myself from the crowd. I'll be the one who shows compassion. I'll be the one who speaks truth. I want to be one who calls people out of their death into all the life that's theirs in Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, I thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. I thank you that your word is alive and powerful and it, it, it cuts to places that are deep and it heals when it does and it removes dead things and it causes new life to grow. So this morning, Father, we come because there's forgiveness in you. We come because there's hope in you. We come because there's love and there's acceptance in you. And you call us out. Come away. Come away from your sin. Come away from the world. Come away to what I have for you. And Father, this morning we say, we're ready. We'll come to you. Lord, may we be the church that you've called us to be that walks in the power of the resurrection, speaks life and resurrection, that we might see a a generation and a culture today change one at a time because you bring life. We surrender our hearts and our lives to you this morning and pray all this in Jesus' name.